My name is Keith Beavers, and one thing I will never do is skip the credits for Stranger Things. It's just... What's going on, wine lovers? Welcome to Vine Pairs Wine 101 Podcast. My name is Keith Beavers. I am the Tasty Director of Vine Pair, Vine Pair Keith on Insta, and what's up? We are heading off to the Pacific Northwest for a couple episodes and talking about what is going on up there. Washington State. What's it about? It's one of ours. Let's get into it. This episode of Wine 101 is sponsored by Columbia Winery in the fine state of Washington. What? You thought only apples grew there? Columbia Winery crafts critically acclaimed wines from some of the most impossible wine-growing terrains in the state. Did you know that grapes grow in the desert and make rich, amazing wine? No, really, it's like Columbia Winery has captured the state of Washington in a glass. Give Columbia Wine a swirl at their tasting room located 43 minutes north of Seattle. Or take a wine exploration class. You will not be disappointed. Okay, wine lovers. So, we are diving back into regions and you are so stoked. As you know, I'm pretty obsessed here with this whole American wine story. I dedicated an entire um, series on that because it's, I don't know, it's, I'm fascinated with what we're doing, how we got here, what we're doing now, where we're going with it. And when you look at the history of the United States and in, in, in wine, it, in, I say this a lot, but we're very young. And even though we have a very storied past with wine, especially once everything starts happening in California, my gosh, things go crazy. Um, it, there's so much more out there. I, I mean, we talk about, you know, we've talked about New York. We've talked about other states in, you know, the country that make wine and how new they are. And for the next two episodes, we're going to talk about Washington State today. And then next week, we're going to talk about Oregon, basically, you know, the Pacific Northwest. And actually, Idaho's in there too, but we can, we'll, I'll mention that. But when we're talking about Washington state and then next week, Oregon, I just, I really love the fact that in doing these regional episodes, we really get to see how exciting it is to be a wine drinker of American wines in the United States today, because we are still a young country and there's still so much more we can explore and find. And as as proven, you know, that's still happening in Sonoma, somewhat in Napa, but they're the major wine regions, the two big ones, you know, Sonoma and Napa have their varieties, but there's still a lot of exploration going on, especially in Sonoma and in places like Washington and Oregon. And then we're gonna talk about Virginia at some point, you know, you've heard Washington, you've heard about Oregon, especially Oregon, but what's really wild about this is they're still working on it. They're still getting it. We're, we're, we're not done exploring States like Washington state. And when you hear the history of this place, you're going to get a sense of it. So let's get into it. Have you guys ever heard of the Pacific ring of fire? <laughs> it's a really intense title. 
And it's actually a very intense thing. The mountain ranges that border the Pacific Ocean is called the Pacific Ring of Fire. And this name is given to this area because of this particular part of the earth and all these mountain ranges mountain ranges having significant volcanic activity. And in the Pacific Northwest, actually starting in British Columbia, the Cascade Mountain Range runs from British Columbia through Washington State, down through Oregon, and into Northern California. And being that it's part of the Pacific Ring of Fire, all of the eruptions that we've experienced over the past 200 years in the upper 50 of the United States has been in the Cascade Mountains. And although everyone in wine likes volcanic soil, Washington State, is, is not, it's, it's not about volcanic soil, but it's about what the volcanoes and eruptions over time have done to create the wine region. Let me get into it. The highest peak of the Cascade Mountain Range is a mountain called Mount Rainer, and it's over 14,000 feet above sea level, and it's in Tacoma, Washington. So Washington State has some of the highest peaks in the Cascade Mountains. Therefore, with the Cascade Mountain Range splitting right down, oh, not the middle of the state, but right down through the state, that height protects whatever's to the east of that mountain range from any moisture that comes from the Pacific Ocean. This is called a rain shadow. And I say protects, but when it comes to wine, it's a little bit complicated. That's not complicated. But what happens is, on the other side of this mountain range, you have a valley. This valley on the east side of the Cascade Mountains is a desert. Isn't that crazy? It's a desert, a highly irrigated desert. So there is fertile land in this desert area, but it's highly irrigated to make it so. So what you have is this Pacific Northwest. Everything, every time we talk about Sonoma, and when we talk about Oregon, we're going to get into that. That Pacific Northwest influence with all that moisture and fog and all that, that's not Washington State. Kind of, we'll get Sort of. We'll get into that in a second. But the majority of the wine being made in Washington State are, is in the east of the Cascade Mountains in the Columbia Valley, an irrigated desert. I just find that fascinating. And it's here in the Columbia Valley, the South Columbia Valley, Southern Columbia, along the Columbia River, is where the wine industry of Washington began. Well, I should say the modern era of Washington State wine, because in the early to mid-19th century, just like everything was going on in California with people coming from Europe, all over Europe, to California, and also they were in Oregon, and they were in Washington State, in Washington State, like in the 1840s, it was mostly German and Italian immigrants. I find that interesting because of some of the varieties that are being worked with today. And I don't know if it was because of the gold rush or whatever, but that element of Washington wine is just a mention, if you will. It did begin. I mean, that put wine in grapes in the state. By the 1930s, the Washington state wine industry was solely based mostly on the Concord grape. We've talked about the Concord grape before. It's from um, Massachusetts. It was one of those hybrid grapes that was trying to save 
<laughs> all of uh, the eastern part of the United States when it comes to wine. It's also the wine that makes Manischewitz and jams and jellies. And Washington State was a big sort of produce state as well, so it kind of makes sense. Apples, hops, grapes. And if you remember from the American Wine History series I did around this time in the 1930s, this is when Napa was just getting started to figure out what they're going to do to save that wine region after Prohibition. But speaking of Prohibition, Washington State was one of 35 other states that helped to get to the majority so that the Volstead Act would pass. So Washington State and 35 other states were basically responsible for initiating prohibition. And by 1969, there were only a few wineries in the entire state of Washington. But it was in the late 30s that a man by the name of Walter Clore, C-L-O-R-E, came to Washington State and changed everything. The one thing about this valley east of the Cascade Mountains, it's a large valley called the Columbia Valley. And we're going to get into that when we talk about Appalachians. In the Columbia Valley, there's, there's, a, there's a significant amount of rivers, three very important rivers, the Yakima River, the Columbia River, and Snake River. And these are the water sources for the irrigation in this desert area, semi-desert area. And it's a very hilly area, too, because we are in the foothills of a major mountain range. So it kind of makes sense that this would be kind of a, you know, makes sense. It feels like a wine region. The thing about this area, it has very hot summers and very cold winters. The challenge is to find the varieties that work in this area. And this is what David Clore did. He was a horticulturist from Oklahoma who got an opportunity to work at what is today called the Irrigated Agriculture Research and Extension Center. And this is right along one of the major rivers, the Yakima River. Now, I believe this dude was brought to Washington to mostly work with apples and hops. But when he got to the Yakima station, he started getting very interested in wine grapes, not only Vitis vinifera, but even the hybrids that were around. And he started hearing how difficult it was to grow grapes in this area. And he realized, well, that's because people don't know what grapes to grow. So he embarked on a years-long experiment to find the varieties that would thrive in this area. And a lot of the major work happened in the 1950s, so that by 1974, Clore had seen the plantings of over 300 varieties in this experimentation station. Yes, that rhymed. Also, because of the general terrain of the area, he was able to develop a trellising system of the vines to actually help with mechanical harvesting. Now, this guy didn't become a winemaker or anything, but this was a big moment for Washington State. This is the moment that proved that there was the potential for premium wine here in the Columbia Valley. Oh, and also, to this day, 80% of the vines in Washington State are machine harvested. The 1950s in Washington State really saw the beginning of the modern wine industry in that in 19, well, the early 1950s, basically, um, around 1951, a man by the name of Lloyd Woodburn, who was a psych prof at uh, Washington State University, him and a bunch of buddies, some professors, some not, started a winemaking operation, operation outside of his garage 
because they were determined to make premium wine out of Vitis vinifera grapes specifically. And then in 1954, there was a wine company called the National Wine Company <laughs> and um, Pomerol Wine Company. They were sort of the, the wineries that were the only ones in the 1930s that were there, but they were still around and they ended up merging, calling themselves American wine growers. And because they were a bigger company, are considered the first to really promote and market wines from eastern Washington state. And from here, everything just kind of pops off. In 1962, Woodburn and his buddies, they actually incorporate into Associated Vintners, and they start planting vineyards in the Yakima Valley. And in 1967, Andrei Chelichev, the consulting genius hero of Napa, if you listen to the American Wine series, you'll hear about him. He somehow gets his hands on a Gewürztraminer made by Associated Vintners treasurer. This is the guy at Below Vineyards in Napa changing the game. He tastes this wine and says, this is the best wine I've tasted in the U.S. And from then on was interested in Washington State. That same year, he actually gets hired by American wine growers, that merged company, and becomes the consultant for vinifera wines for that company. That company, American Wine Growers, they actually have a label called Chateau Saint-Michel. And if you know Washington wine, you know Chateau Saint-Michel. And eventually through the years, around I think it's in the, late, in the mid to late 80s, Chateau Saint-Michel becomes the label. It gets a little more involved in that, but for our purposes, this is the beginning of one of the major wine labels of Washington State to this day. Now, as far as the Associated Vintners are concerned from the garage, they, in 1967, started using Associated Vintners as their label, but in 1983, they changed their name to Columbia Winery. They were able to secure more vineyard space and became the, the other major wine label coming out of Washington State. So really, Chateau Saint-Michel and Columbia Winery, through their efforts, really began the modern wine industry of Washington State. And also, in 1983, as a young Keith Beavers was marveling at a movie screen watching Return of the Jedi, Washington State is awarded its first American viticultural area in the Yakima Valley, which makes sense because that's where a lot of the activity was at the time. And you can tell the expansion and the excitement was growing pretty fast because that next year, in 1984, when Ghostbusters came out, Walla Walla Valley and Columbia Valley become AVAs as well. And these three American viticultural areas until 1995 define the Washington State wine region. And in 1995, the American viticultural area or AVA that was awarded to Washington was not part of the expanding of the Columbia Valley. This was a wine region that was awarded actually on the other side of the Cascade Mountain Range with an extreme Pacific Ocean influence just north of around where Seattle is, the Puget Sound and all of its islands becomes an AVA. Now, to this day, you're not going to see a lot of Puget Sound wines. Maybe at some point we will, but not a lot of, the, not a lot of wine is made there. A lot, of the, a lot of the action really happens in Columbia Valley because by 2001, AVAs are being awarded to this place like crazy all the way until 2020. And I'll just run through some of these because Washington State has at this at right now, as this of this recording, 19 AVAs. That's a lot 
of AVAs for a small amount of wine. Only 5% of the national wine production is in Washington State. And what's great about that is that these older areas are being carved up into with small little subregions, meaning people are finding small plots in small areas to make amazing wine. AVAs are awarded for a, a list of reasons, but one is why is this place special? And if a place is being awarded an AVA, it has a special soil, special um, sun exposure, all that stuff. But here we go. From 2001 to 2016 alone, 10 AVAs were awarded to Washington State with names like Red Mountain, Columbia Gorge, Horse Heaven Hills, Rattlesnake Hills, Waluke Slope. I may not be saying that correctly. Snipes Mountain. A lot of these were brand new and they are just smaller areas in larger areas. A lot of this is um, a lot of the Yakima Valley has been cleaved up to find smaller plots to make even better premium wine. I mean, the latest AVA to be awarded to Washington State is Goose Gap in 2021. Also, the burn of Columbia Valley in 2021. How about that as a name for an, an AVA? The burn of Columbia Valley Merlot? I only say Merlot because there was a moment in Washington State where Merlot was the most popular variety in the state. It was around the 19... Well, actually, in 1991, some, some of you may or may not know about this, but 60 Minutes did a 12-minute a segment about called The French Paradox. And it was that moment, it was a moment in media that was really great for wine in America. It was the first time since Prohibition that the media was like, you know what, it's okay to enjoy wine. It's okay to get into it. It's okay to drink a bottle. It's, it's okay, get into wine. It's a beautiful thing. It's not poison. And that was an eye-opening moment for America and for some reason, Merlot caught at that point. And the Merlot plantings in Washington State went nuts. So Merlot is often associated with Washington State, but also a grape called Riesling. You guys, if you listen, just I have a Riesling episode. Riesling does really well in this area as also. So it is a, a very popular variety. Actually, actually, it's so popular that German winemakers have collaborated with winemakers in Washington State just on the Riesling grape alone says a lot for a place that where Riesling was basically born to going to the new world and collaborating with younger, newer winemakers is in the Pacific Northwest is just, it's awesome. But really this is what I want to leave you with, with Washington state wine, because I didn't go into a long list of varieties, right? I mean, I could do that really quick. Riesling's the most planted, of course. Chardonnay, Sauvignon Blanc, Pinot Gris, Semillon, Viognier, Chenin Blanc, Gewürztraminer, Muller Turgal, Merlot, Cab Sav, Syrah. What I'm saying is, these are the varieties. This the variety. Well, the list that I just listed is the result of all the work from Chlor back in the day. And the thing about these wine regions is there are certain wine regions that are um, that that certain varieties do well in, but these wine regions are brand new. The soils are just being tested, even even from 1983. That's not a long time ago, and I think where Washington State is at is one of the most exciting times in its wine history where there is a national attention for wine. And there's a place called Washington State that has, a, has the Columbia Valley 
that is still being explored. So I guess what I'm saying here is one of the what's so great about Washington State and other states like this is you as a, an American wine drinker are right smack dab in the middle of a historical moment because for the next 20 years, Washington State is going to either increase their AVAs and or and or they're going to focus even further into their existing AVAs and really draw down onto the varieties that will absolutely define their region. That's why I'm not going into each region and what they do well, because you should just go out there and get Washington State wine. It's weird because Washington State wine is an it's American wine, but you don't see a lot of it on the American market. We need to see more. You're going to see a lot of Merlot. You're going to see a lot of Riesling. You're going to see some Chardonnay. But I'd like to see more Syrah. I'd like to see more Pinot Gris and Chardonnay from that area. But it's going to come. It's going to happen. And I think that's what's the most exciting thing about Washington State. Because the history is so recent, we're right in the fevered pitch of it. So go out there, buy Washington wine, pop the bottles, take photos of it, tag me on Instagram, Vine Pear Keith. I want to see what you're doing, what you're drinking out there. I want to see what kind of Washington wine is available on the American market. It's an American wine growing state. It's one of ours. Let's enjoy it. All right. Next week, Oregon. This is going to be fun. Vine Pear Keith is my Insta. Rate and review this podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. It really helps get the word out there. And now for some totally awesome credits. Wine 101 was produced, recorded, and edited by yours truly, Keith Beavers, at the Vine Pear headquarters in New York City. I want to give a big old shout out to co-founders Adam Teeter and Josh Mallon for creating Vine Pear. And I mean, big shout out to Danielle Grinberg, the art director of Vine Pear, for creating the most awesome logo for this podcast. Also, Darby Seaside for the theme song. Listen to this. And I want to thank the entire Vine Pear staff for helping me learn something new every day. See you next week. This episode of Wine 101 is sponsored by Columbia Winery in the fine state of Washington. What? You thought only apples grew there? Columbia Winery crafts critically acclaimed wines from some of the most impossible wine-growing terrains in the state. Did you know that grapes grow in the desert and make rich, amazing wine? No, really, it's like Columbia Winery has captured the state of Washington in a glass. Give Columbia Wine a swirl at their tasting room located 43 minutes north of Seattle. Or visit BarrelRoom.com to have a bottle shipped straight to your door today where shipping is available.